today this is actually a second session. We went to the southern side of the town and we had another session there with a group of friends. And Ali was there, Russia was there. They joined us again here. Thank you again for coming and joining us this spiritual journey. Um, Nitya came all the way from Pune, India. Some of you know, some of you do not. It's almost 10,000 miles. He flew for us and came here to join us. Uh, he uses uh, techniques which are very different from others approaches, I believe, right? Active learning techniques and games. Today we play a game actually there. It was really fun. We connected with all those people whom we do not know very much either. So that was, that was different, that was unique. And have, looking forward to have another great session again with you all. Welcome. Thank you, Nalini. Wonderful. I'd like to start with the beautiful sound. Just enjoy the sound. Become aware of your posture. Become aware of the emotional tone of this moment. Whatever you're feeling is fine. Become aware of the energy level you have it at present. Is it quite bright? Is it a little dull? Is it a little tired? Just notice. Become aware of any sounds that you're hearing. Any physical sensations in the body that are very obvious. Bring your attention to your heart area. And just decide to relax the heart area, open the heart area. Bring your attention to the gut area, the belly area. And again relaxing, opening. And just decide that you're in a safe space. It's a healing space. It's a non-judgmental space.
it's an authentic space as well as a confidential space, which means that you can be your true self and no one's here to talk about you to anybody else. And of course, each one of us creates the space together. And let's further embellish and magnetize the space by inviting into it through the power of intention any quality, any energy, any inspiration. I'll give a few examples. I invite into the space teachings, inspirations that are perfectly suited and appropriate to each person gathered here tonight. I invite into the space the spirit, the quality of unconditional love radiating through each one of us, through every cell. I invite into the space a spirit of inquiry, curiosity, open-mindedness, willingness to explore diverse, unique perspectives. And anyone else can say aloud what they're inviting into the space, using the sentence, I invite into the space, and then fill in the blanks, could be anything at all. And we'll pause for two breaths, really feel what they've said. And then anybody else can say. So let's, let's really magnifies, ma magnify and magnetize the space with intention. into the space, guidance, wisdom, and clarity. I invite into the space release of gripping thoughts. I invite into the space friendship and love.
I invite into the space a feeling of completeness. And I invite into the space a sense of cozy togetherness. We enjoy our own company and each other's company. I invite into the space divine faith and surrender. Let's have one more. I invite into this space connection to ourselves, to our own inner wisdom. We'll all take a nice deep breath. And please. And if you like, you can rub your palms together, make them nice and warm. Bring them over your eyes, over your face. Slowly open your eyes. Let's say together, how wonderful. How wonderful. <laughs> all right, welcome everybody. And good to see you all. And we have uh, some of you we met yesterday, some of you we've met many years back, like Deepika, <laughs> and some of you meeting again today. And uh, the real purpose of uh, this gathering is actually to meet yourself and life in a fresh new way. So one of my favorite teaching is that no two people have ever met. No two people have ever met. We don't really meet people, we meet our thoughts about those people. Which is why the same person, you think one way about them, your friend thinks something else about them. Your mother thinks something else about them. So actually we've never met people, we've only met our thoughts about people. And it gets interesting when you look in the mirror because it means you never met yourself. <laughs> you've only ever met your thoughts about yourself. And the days you've had loving, accepting, non-judgmental thoughts about yourself, it's a better relationship with yourself. And the days you've had very strong judgmental thoughts about yourself, comparing yourself, not good enough, should have been, could have been, well then you know what that tastes like as well. So no two people have ever met. We only ever met our stories and thoughts about others. So when I reflected on this more deeply, what I realized is, and please say this with me, meditation, meditation. is meeting myself, meeting myself without my stories. Without my stories. Love, Love is meeting the other, meeting the other. Without, my without my stories. Awakening, Awakening. is meeting life, is meeting without my stories. Right? So all we're saying is relax your stories a bit. Relax your stories. In fact, in Japan, awakening, there's a nice Japanese word. They call it satori. And for me, that sounds very similar to story. <laughs> so what is satori? Don't believe your story. <laughs> when you don't believe your story, then that is satori. When you're very uh, involved and you know, invested in your story, then welcome to the world, where each one of us has our own story, and we're trying to sell our story to everybody else. We want everybody else to believe our story. 
So this evening will be about presence, will be about, um, you know, we've called these series of sessions Unburden and Focus, Unburden and Focus. So whatever helps us unburden and whatever helps us focus. Focus on what? Focus on what's important. Right? And so unravel, all that's taking you away from a full, I love this book, there's a book called Full Catastrophe Living. <laughs> can you live full catastrophe? I mean, can you really open yourself up? Don't hold back. What is it like to really allow yourself to experience each moment of life wholeheartedly? Because so much of our interactions, if you just look inside, you'll notice, we are conditioned by our past experiences. Both the pleasant and the unpleasant. So of course the unpleasant, we never want them to happen again. So then we are always cautious, cautious, cautious. And even the pleasant, we are always comparing. Like for example, Deepika has worked in a very good hotel in, in India. And now no in American hotel can quite match. <laughs> because you've lived in, worked in such a good hotel, you know the standards of that hotel. So while it's a great gift, the problem is that it's very hard to satisfy you now because you've had such a high, you know, your experience has been such a high level of experience, right? So when you get it, when either a pleasant or an unpleasant experience, either way, you can get trapped. And it'll prevent you from experiencing life just the way it is. Right? So what is it like to drop our stories, at least temporarily? So here's a really powerful question. Please say with me. Who am I? Who am I? Without my stories. And this is a really great question to ask ourselves many, many times. Who am I without my story? Who am I without my preferences? Who am I without my resistance? Who am I without my judgment? Who am I without all these strong roles and identities I've created for myself? Who am I? At least temporarily, can you take a break from it? I saw a very nice cartoon of uh, uh, this person who, at the end of the day, was sitting quietly. And what had happened was they had unzipped their body and their spirit was expanding free. Very simple cartoon, but I love that cartoon. It's like, you know, can you for a few moments unzip all the ideas you have about yourself? You're a doctor, you're a parent, you're successful, you're this, you're that, you're patriotic, you're a democrat, whatever you believe that you are. Can you unzip from that, at least for a little while? Otherwise, you're so invested in it. You're so caught up in it. All right? So the idea is, can you play your roles, but not get identified with your roles? And in India, we have a lovely story about this. There was a man who owned a theater company. And they put up all kinds of plays. And one particular play was very successful. So lots of people came with always full house, you know, something like Broadway, always full house. Now one day it so happened that one of the really important actors fell sick. And there was no one to replace him. Normally there should, be, should have been someone to step in. But in this particular day, there was no one to step in. So the theater manager, the theater owner said, all right, there's nobody else. I know every role. I know every, uh, everything, every, every performance everyone does. I'll step in. It so happens the role he's playing is the role of a beggar. And in this role, everybody else abuses him, everybody else kicks him around, everybody else mistreats him, and he's the beggar. Now throughout that entire play, people are kicking him around, abusing him. But he doesn't take it to heart. He says, forget about it, I own this entire theater. <laughs> All these people work for me. <laughs> so while he plays the role, he doesn't get fooled by the role. So he plays the role really well. He plays the role of being a beggar. But he never once gets fooled. I'm not the beggar, actually. Right? And I love that story. So in other words, can you play the role but not get fooled by the role? Can you hold it lightly as opposed to tightly? Right? And that's really powerful. That's really beautiful. Then you know. Then you can actually be very fluid and very flexible as you go through life. Come on in. Welcome. Come have a seat. Have a seat. Very nice. You can open a yoga mat if you like or you can sit in a chair if you like.
uh, before we continue further, I'd like to tap into the wisdom of the group. And uh, some of you came here yesterday, some of you even had a session today. And even apart from that, even those who didn't come here, I want you to tune in and think of something important you've learned this week. Something important you've learned this week, right? As I was driving down here, Vijay was my sarthi, my charioteer, and he was telling me that he is someone who loves to talk to people. So he was telling me that, you know, bringing up kids in the U.S. is very difficult because you've got to take them to dance class and karate class and this class and that class. And then you've got to wait there for hours until they finish. <laughs> so he was telling me while he's waiting there, he loves to talk to the people over there. And he says he learns so much from the people. And what he told me was that you can learn from books, but you can learn a lot from people as well. And there's something very real about talking to people. And everybody, even though they may outwardly not seem very wise or successful, everybody has their own life experiences. And there's something we can learn from everyone. So please say, say with me, the wise one, one. Learns from everyone. <laughs> right? The foolish one says, I'll only learn from that person and that person. These people have nothing to give me. But the wise one can learn from everyone. Even someone who's been a colossal failure in their life, who's done everything wrong, well, you can learn what not to do. From such a person, you can realize the value of doing things right. The reason we know not to eat certain plants is because some people before us have eaten those plants and they got into trouble. So, okay, don't eat those berries. Don't do that. Don't eat that without cooking it. And we know from experience, because they've done it, right? So we don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. So what we're going to do is, for a few minutes, we're going to tap into group wisdom. And uh, let's talk about, you could, if you want, talk about some of the things we learned yesterday and today, if you want, or anything else from this week. And so I'd like you to share your name, and I'd like you to share something that you've learned this week. Keep it brief, keep it sharp, keep it clean, and let's all learn from each other. All right, so tune in, see what's coming. Whenever you're ready, in any order. Share your name and something you've learned. I'm Allie. Allie. Um, be in the world, but not of the world. Mm. And I feel like you basically just, I heard you just say that mm. in different words, but I find that I have to repeat that to myself frequently. Mm -hmm. I'm relearning it every day. Beautiful. To be in the world, but not of the world. Let's all say welcome, Allie. Go ahead. Yeah. Inviting consciousness into the experience. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, beautiful. Welcome, Nalini. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. It's a really very strong experience. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's all sit together. Welcome, Madhu. Welcome, Madhu. So we learned a new word yesterday. Tell them the word that we learned yesterday. Remember? Amor Fati. Amor Fati. Amor Fati means to love your fate. Amor. Amor. It's a. It's a. It's a Greek. It's a Greek. Yeah. Amor. Amor Fati. And Amor is love, and Fati is fate. So it comes from the Stoic philosophers. Actually, it comes from later on Nietzsche. Uh, the great philosopher talked about this. He says to fall in love with your fate. When you fall in love with your fate, nothing will ever trouble you again. As opposed to fighting, always fighting, fighting, being in opposition to your life all the time. Right? So there's a, there's a beautiful phrase. I'll just come to you. There's a beautiful phrase. Where there is love, there's no judgment. And where there's judgment, there's no love. 
So when you can love your fate in that moment, you're at peace. It's called loving what is. Yeah. Uh, my name is BJ. Uh, I love the guy, Lester. Lester Levinson, yes. I love that story. Yes. I mean, uh, you have so many ailments and uh, you started loving yourself. Yes. And looking to going back and yeah. how you love yourself and how people love you. Yeah, that's and good. And you realize that, you know, everything is just it's pain free. Fantastic. Let's all say welcome, Vijay. So yesterday we learned a story about Lester Levinson. I'll not repeat it, but basically he uh, had a very severe heart ailment, and the doctor said you can pretty much die any time. <laughs> now imagine living like that, where your doctor told you you can die any time. What kind of a life is that? He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what could happen. He doesn't. He's afraid of uh, you know doing anything strenuous whatsoever. And he decided to just decide to love every experience in his life, every every memory, every experience. I'm just going to love it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to love it. And that actually healed him. What was supposed to be an incurable condition got healed. You know, what they found with many, many people who had terminal diseases, if there were some commonalities that, that really helped them heal. So please say with me, forgiveness, forgiveness. Love, love, gratitude, gratitude. And, laughter. and laughter. And there may be more, but these are four things that they definitely found. There's a strong correlation between healing and these things. So to forgive, 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 mostly we have to forgive the major villain in our life, is ourself. <laughs> Mostly we have to forgive ourselves. Forgive ourselves, forgive ourselves, and then forgive the other people who we thought have, have tormented us. And then to love. In fact, one lady, what she did was, she went through, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she went through her phone book. Those days before we had our you know, phones, we had phone books. So she went through her phone book, and she said, is there anyone I have not forgiven even 1%? And then she would call them up, and she would resolve it. And she went through her entire phone book from A to Z. And of course, some people had passed on. So she couldn't talk to them anymore. She'd write them a letter saying, I forgive you and I hope you forgive me. And by the time she reached to Z and she went for her next scan, she was cancer free. And these are not myths. These, actually, these things actually happen, right? Because how much of this is caused by our, uh, it's, a, it's a reaction. It's like our physical body is at some level a solidification of our thinking process, our emotional process. If you look carefully at people, you can get a sense of, what their inner being is like, if you look very carefully, right? So forgiveness, love, what are the other two? Gratitude. Gratitude and laughter. There was actually a person called Norman Cousins who wrote a book called Anatomy of an Illness. And he was diagnosed, I forget if it was cancer or what it was, and he was very, he was terminal. And all he did was watch funny movies, funny movies, funny movies, funny movies. He got all the funny movies he could find, and he would just laugh. And that laughter cured him, right? So we say laughter is the best medicine. It actually is the best medicine. What if you could laugh your way to healing? Have any of you seen this Robin Williams movie, Patch Adams? Yeah. If you haven't, it's worth watching. Patch Adams is worth watching. Seen it, right? So in Patch Adams, Robin Williams is depressed. And he checks himself into a medical facility saying, I think I'm suicidal, I want to kill myself. So he checks himself in. And he's depressed, depressed, depressed. It's quite crowded, so they put him with a roommate who hallucinates. And one day his roommate can't go to the toilet. He says, why can't you go? The toilet's open. He says, no, there's a monster there. There's a monster? There's no monster there. You're hallucinating. Go. He says, no, no, there's a monster there. So how do you help this person? His bladder's bursting. But he can't go to the toilet. There's some imaginary monster there. So then it occurs to him, if there's an imaginary monster, then let's fix it also with imagination. He says, you know what? I can see the monster. But I can also see the machine gun. Let's start firing. And then <laughs> they start firing. And the monster is dead and he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> and that's the first time in months that he feels happy. And he realized, wow, he felt happy by helping somebody else. 
When he was self-absorbed, poor me, poor me, poor me, he was suicidal. But for those few minutes helping someone else, he felt so happy. And so he realized this is the way for me. So he finally left that facility and at a rather later age, I think he must have been in his 30s or something, he decided to become a doctor. And he went ahead and studied medicine. And the whole movie is about how he used love and laughter to heal people, especially little kids who had cancer. And he would go around wearing a clown. In fact, I have a friend in India who does this. His, in his free time, in his spare time, his name is Taranath in Bangalore. And in his free time, he goes to hospitals and he dresses up as a clown. And he just makes them laugh. And I tell you, I bet that is no less healing than all the things the doctors and nurses are doing. You can just go to the, imagine how happy those kids are for those few hours when he's with them, doing magic tricks and making them laugh and making them play games. That is so therapeutic, right? So these are some examples of things that can heal us. So in Lester Levinson's case, love, loving his own life, his own experience, the thing he was earlier judging, he decided to love it. Amor Fati, I love my fate. And that was very healing for him. Somebody else, share something you've learnt in the last week. Yeah, go ahead. Um, my name's Julia. Julia. And uh, it sounds simple, but for me it's big. I've learned patience. Mm. I have trouble being in the present. Mm. I'm always, I feel like I'm very behind in life. Mm. Um, so I always think about where I want to be in the future, and I just got a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have kids. Um, but the cat has taught me to be really patient. Wow, cats are Zen masters. <laughs> <laughs> so by observing your cat and being with your cat, you've learned to be. He's so scared. <laughs> He's scared. But, yeah, so like I'm trying to like very slowly like uh, at his pace and his level like bring him out, yeah. love on him, yeah. not drag him out from under the bed. Exactly, that's beautiful. Yeah. Lovely. Welcome, Julia. And I just want to say that you know uh, I used to have a partner, and she would adopt cats, she would foster cats. So literally every week we had new cats coming in. And it was exactly like that. Some cats were so gregarious, they would immediately want to explore the whole environment. And some would, they just go and retreat and they just hide. For days they'd hide. But when they'd slowly come out and they'd build trust, it was beautiful to see that. And every single cat had a totally different personality. You know, I used to be a very dog person. But since then I realized cats have a whole different species. <laughs> they really, each cat has a personality all of their own. And there's a lovely cartoon I saw that uh, the owner of the house is coming back. And the dog's very happy and said, ah, oh, master's home. And the cat is like, the slave has come at last. <laughs> <laughs> the slave is late again. <laughs> so they have a totally different personality in a totally different way. So we can learn so much from. And have you heard of a teacher called Eckhart Tolle? Yeah. Eckhart Tolle says that in my life I have met many Zen masters. All of them were cats. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Sapna. Sapna. Um, so, um, my experience for the past uh, couple of months with our being grateful yes. for what we have. Yeah. Um, grateful for everything. Um, life, what we have, and our body. Because um, I've seen so many people around who have been suffering. Yeah. Um, for example, I came across, I just want to share this story because it touched my heart a lot. Um, last week I was at YMCA and one of the ladies, I always see her going on rolling machine. Um, she, I can just see she's on the wheelchair, she's suffering badly, and I approached her, I said, if you don't mind, let me ask you what's going on with you. And that, that itself, just approaching me, she just bursted out. She said, I've been coming to this YMCA for the past 10 years, and nobody has come and approached me and asked me, how am I doing? I'm so thankful, and that itself 
practice magic. There are people out there who need help and we worry so much about ourselves. So being grateful is a big wow. wow. And so whenever I come here, I'm going to go and talk to you. Let me know if you need any help. So, so beautiful. Helping hands and being grateful is a, a life. How wonderful. Welcome, Sapna. Welcome, Sapna. Beautiful. You know, I was in, uh, in, a, in, in Pune. We have a Rotary Club and they invited me to speak. And then they said, if you don't mind, we have a little project in a, in, a, in a local hospital. Would you mind coming? So I said, yeah, sure, I'll come. And what they've done is, uh, in India this happened, I'm sure it happens in many countries. Sometimes people abandon newborn children because for whatever reason, complications with relationships or can't afford it or whatever, and they just abandon these kids. And these are beautiful kids, and they've just been abandoned by their parents. Just abandoned. This has been left over there. So this is a, a special wing of the hospital that is designed for these totally abandoned kids. Babies, you know. And when we went there, all the babies wanted was just to be held. They were just crying and crying and crying. And all they, the moment you held them, they became quiet. And then you want to quiet, they're going to sleep, you want to put them down, they start crying again. Okay, pick them up. <laughs> and they say, all we need is for people to come and hold babies. <laughs> we just want people to come and spend a few hours of your day, hold these babies. They've got nobody else. We only have so much staff. We can't hold all the babies. And all, they, all these children needed was someone to hold them. Right? So the fact that, so again, gratitude, right? And so all the little ways in which we can touch the lives of others, it could be as simple as holding a baby. And it makes such a huge difference. You were saying something. Yeah, continuing to her. Yesterday I was walking down the street. I was, rather I was just walking down for my own walk and exercise. So I was on the main road and somebody took the U-turn and she stopped the car. So it was 9 p.m. at night. So I got a little bit scared. <laughs> oh my God, why is she stopping the car? So maybe she's asking some way. Then she showed her ID card and she said, I'm a military person. Do you want a ride? Oh, can go to that. So I said, no, 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 no. My house is just here. I'm just walking down for my exercise. She said, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure. Beautiful. What is your name? Uma. Uma. Welcome, Uma. Welcome, Uma. Wonderful. <laughs> See how we always think, what's going to happen? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Hi, my name is Chamari. Chamari? Yes. Yeah, Chamari, go ahead. And it reminded you to be patient. Yes. You can learn it from a cat, you can learn it from a movie. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Welcome, Chamari. Does your name mean something? Yes, it's Oh, there you That's true. <laughs> um, my name's Jeff. Um, I was, I've had this thought in my head for many years, and I was just kind of reminded again of it earlier this week. And not only does it apply to me as a, in my own internal world, but I think to everyone is we're always taken care of. Mm, always taken so care of. That's yeah. something that's always kind of been in the back of my mind that I've mm. had experiences that have challenged that and sort of said, do you really believe that? Mm -hmm. Or are you still gripping onto the idea that there's a possibility or not? Mm. And um, yeah, so we're always taken care of. You're always taken Love that. How wonderful. Welcome, Jeff. <laughs> I just want to say one thing about this that, you know, Without your story, without your, your story, you're in heaven every time. Byron Katie, one of my teachers, talks about you lose your home, 
they come and take away your they take away your car they take away your home they take they take it all away and you're on the street and without your story it's a beautiful day <laughs> but with your story it's a, it's horrible it's the worst point of your life but without your story it's a nice blue sky it's fresh clean air you got legs you can walk on right you're not hungry yet <laughs> Byron Katie once opened the gate of a, house, of a friend's house. She opened the gate, and these two giant dogs, Rottweilers, came charging at her. And they're charging at her at full growling, you know. And uh, she tells, she says, "Well, the good news is they're not here yet." <laughs> But with that kind of an energy, that the good news is they're not here yet, because you see the story. What's the story you're telling? Oh my God, what's going to happen? They're going to bite me. But they just—they all—all all you know is that they're running. That's all you know. They're going to bite me or not? You don't know. And animals, of course, are super sensitive. So when they sense that she's not running away and she's not hesitant, then they slow down and they sniffed her around and they 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 escorted her to the house. <laughs> right? So in the same way, we are always taken care of, and especially without our story. When you drop your story, then life actually is heaven. Then that is gratitude. Then that is oneness. So who are you without your stories? So can you relax your stories? And Byron Katie, I love this quote of hers. She says, "Let's say this together. Everything is God, and God is good. That's the last story. <laughs> so if you have to have a last story, that's a good story. That everything is God. Because what kind of God is only in one in one part of the universe and not in everything? God is in everything. God. I, my definition of God is grand overall design. It includes everything. It's the operating system of the universe. All right." So God, grand overall design, it's everything. So God, everything is God, and God is good, and that's the last story. If you have to have a story, that's a good story. Go ahead. <clears throat> I am Sanjay. Um, again, like I have known this because mm. someone told me about it for a very long time. I experienced it um, within the last week, and it's that the antidote of fear. Can you give an example from your life? Yeah. <coughs> so, I'm a very anxious person. I get fearful about everything and make a story about like how things when they will not work, uh, how it's going to affect me. Yeah. So, usually I end up reacting to something which hasn't happened. Um, and last week, I was. You know, there was some argument, yeah. and <coughs> in in rather than reacting, I told myself, I'm just gonna listen and take a small step at a time mm. in the right direction, and that really helped. Mm. And, and just telling myself that it's it's gonna be fine. Beautiful, excellent. Welcome, Sunil. So many years back, I learned a system. It's called switch words, and switch words are one word. one word affirmation that can shift your experience so for example if you want to get along with someone the switch word is with you inwardly say with 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 you start getting along with them better if you can't find your keys the switch word is this one you like so say with me reach so when you can't find something a key or you know some other your your glasses your phone just say reach 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 and this is great for homes which have kids because they keep forgetting stuff You say, okay, what's the switch word for losing it? Then they go running around the house, reach, reach, reach. Found it, <laughs> and they always find it, right? So, like this, one of the switch words is the switch word for wisdom, and very similar to what you just said. So, let's say together, slow, slow, slow. 
So whenever you want wisdom, you inwardly say slow, 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 and wisdom starts to come, right? And you can explore. This is a beautiful teaching. In fact, I use it very often for parking. Could this switch word for parking? You want to switch word for parking? Yeah. <laughs> so the two words you put together. Say with me, divine wolf. And doesn't have to make sense, right? <laughs> you just inwardly say divine is for miracles and wolf is for parking specifically, right? So not all switch words make, uh, the word doesn't always make sense, but you just play with it, right? So next time you can't find parking, or even I would actually say before you're going to reach that place where you know there's going to be a challenge for parking, you inwardly imagine exactly where you'd like to park. Going to that shop, I'd like to have a parking, just three, three, three places before that shop, all right. Divine wolf, divine wolf, divine wolf. And just see what happens. Just play, play this game and see what happens. And see your own experience. You'll be amazed what happened. And I have, I've done this so many times, and I've really, it's been flawless. It's been completely flawless. Right. Another one I use quite often is uh, when you're stuck in traffic. Although in Florida, you can't. You, you complain about traffic here as well. <laughs> we talked about this yesterday. So uh, when you're getting stuck in traffic, when you're getting late, the switch word to reach on time, say with me, halfway. halfway. So you say halfway, 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 and you end up reaching on time. It's fascinating. So one lady, uh, actually, uh, she learned this, and she went home, and she began telling everybody in her family, try this, right? But somehow she misunderstood the word, and no, no, she told a friend, and her friend misunderstood the word. So she called her up, and, you know, what you taught me is amazing. I kept saying, highway, 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 and I reached on time. <laughs> so it's not really the word, it's the intention behind the word, right? So the word is good, but don't get hung up on the word, right? So even though she kept saying, highway, 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 she still reached on time. So like this, it's just fun, and again, it's the power of intention. It's called, in India, we call it Sankalp Shakti, the power of your intention. So when your intention is with, when your intention is love, when your intention is whatever you're looking for, reach, 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 you end up finding it. So it's a very beautiful way. And like this also for uh, things like any anxiety we may be fe feeling. Another good one is, for example, when we feel jealous, and we feel somebody else has gone far ahead of us, we've been left behind. The switch word to overcome that, say with me, rejoice. How beautiful. So when somebody else, instead of feeling bad, oh, I've been left behind, their kid got into that nice college, mine didn't, rejoice, rejoice. The opposite of jealousy is rejoice. So like this, you can go online, and you can, and if, if, you, if you have your email, I can also send you. There's a list of switch words. And you know what? You can create your own switch words. So if you go through the entire list and say, but I don't find anything for weight loss over here, <laughs> <laughs> then you create your own switch word, and it, it could be move. <laughs> you know, it could be whatever, right? So you decide what the switch word is, but, and the moment you've decided it, then that has meaning for you. The word by itself doesn't have meaning, but when you give it, when you imbue it with meaning, now it has meaning. Right? And you repeat that, and then it starts having. So this is, it actually makes life very miraculous, very magical, and it's a lot of fun. I was telling someone recently that my mother was trying to sell her uh, house many years back, about 10 years back, and she'd been trying for over a year, and she wasn't able to sell it. And when nothing else works out, then you ask your son very hesitatingly, do you know something that can help? <laughs> so she asked me, I said, well, let's try the power of intention. And I made a switch phrase. You can, you can kind of weave together a bunch of switch words to create an outcome. So I knew she wanted to sell it. I knew she wanted to get it at a good price, uh, sell it at a good price. And I knew she wanted it to be a very fair deal. Because sometimes what happens in India is, or even other countries, that it looks very good, but when you get into the actual contract and all kinds of stuff, you, know, you get trapped sometimes, right? So I made a switch phrase for her. So please say with me. Be together, be together with divine love, with divine love. Restore, restore, give, give count, count, now done thanks. Now done. 
and I made my poor mother write this down 108 times. <laughs> because I knew if I just had to repeat it, she's probably going to forget. So, and, and I thought that evening she's writing and she's almost falling asleep and she's writing it. But within two days, the calls began coming. And she got an offer much higher than she actually got two competing buyers and they kind of outbid each other to the point where she got 1.5 times the price she was expecting. And she was so happy with that. So ever since then, she's become a big uh, fan of switch words. And she'll often ask me, Nitya, what's the switch word for this? I said, Mom, you also know them. You can also, you can also give people switch words. Don't have to ask me. Right? So the, the idea is approach it playfully. Uh, intentions work when you approach them playfully and joyfully. When you approach them very hard and heavy, then your energy is wrong. But you approach them like a little child with wonder. And it's amazing how it works. Right? And so each of those words has a meaning. So B is for peace and for being in the present. Uh, together is a master switch word. So if you don't remember any other switch word, remember together. Because together is like the master key. Right? So for example, to get into a room, like in hotels, you often don't have the key. But you have a master key. The master key opens all the doors in the hotel. Right? So the, together is a master switch word. So be together. With is like I said, what is with? With was for? With was for relationships and getting along with people. Right? Be together with divine. Divine is for miracles. Love is for love. I think I missed one word, charm. Uh, I just was coming, I missed one word in between charm. Charm is to manifest your heart's desire. Be together with divine love, charm. Restore is for a fair dealing. Give is to sell something. Count is to make money on it. <laughs> now done, thanks. Now is now. Done is it's already done. And thanks is I'm grateful. Right? And as she's writing that, or you can even think of it, or you can even chant it. There was one lady, she would just sing her switch words in the morning. She'd go for a walk. And one day she called me, she said, I, I feel like I'm floating in the air. <laughs> I'm feeling so happy, right? So like this, using affirmations or using switch words can be a very powerful way to shift your consciousness. Because what we say to ourselves again and again and again, that starts appearing true to us. I saw a lovely picture once of a bulb, and the bulb had been painted with different colors. Now, the room, like the room like this, completely white walls, and this bulb that's been painted, and we put it on, what happens to the walls? The walls take on the color of the bulb. Right? Now, what just happened over there? The bulb is painted, but because the bulb is painted like this, the whole wall took on the, the color of that bulb. In the same way, we have writing on the insides of our skull. We have colors on the inside of our skull, which means you don't see the world the way it is. You see the world the way you are. Right? So you were in Walmart and you, you waved to your friend, and they didn't wave back. You're like, yeah, nobody loves me. <laughs> nobody cares for me. <laughs> you know, nobody values me. But they just didn't see you. <laughs> and you waved to them and, they didn't, and you made a big story around that. You know, Maybe this person doesn't like me after all. But it could be something very simple. Or maybe they're preoccupied. Or maybe they're worried about something. Or maybe they're preparing for a birthday party and their mind is distracted. Who knows what it is? But why must you always think the worst in every situation? That's the writing on the inside of your head. Inside of your skull. So can we change that programming? Can we change the conditioning that we have around that. So some of the things we're learning in sessions like this is, that, is to do that. And then our life experience becomes better. So we upgrade the software. So one of the great teachings from Byron Katie also, let's say together, stress, stress. is an invitation, is an invitation. To, question our thinking. to question our thinking. So anytime in the day you're stressed, it's not because of the situation, it's not because of what's happening at home or in traffic and out of the job. Never, 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 never. Because somebody else will be much more peaceful than you in that same situation. It's not what's happening, it's your thoughts about what's happening 100% of the time. 
So events of your life can never stress you out. It's your thoughts about the events of your life that stress you out. The quality of your thoughts. Disastrous thoughts, disastrous outcomes. Negative thoughts, negative outcomes. Positive thoughts, tell me. Positive outcomes. And miraculous thoughts. So if you have to tell a story, why not tell a good story? If you have to share something. I'll give you an example of a great story. A few years back, maybe even now, a Greek was going through a big economic crisis. Did you hear about this? Yes. Greek was going through a massive economic crisis. There were demonstrations on the streets. The European Union, everyone was very concerned. And one family, uh, they, the father was afraid that he would lose his house because he wasn't able to afford it. He lost his job. He wasn't able to afford it. And with a lot of regret, a lot of remorse, he tells his kids, kids, uh, we'll have to uh, leave our house. Uh, you'll no longer be able to go to school. We'll be living in a shelter. And the kids got so excited. Daddy, are we going to live in a tent? <laughs> are we going to live in a tent? Uh, can we run around everywhere? Can we play everywhere? And you know, and he was like shocked that what he thinks is such a terrible thing, for his kids, they have no such idea this a terrible thing. For them, it's like a, it's like a holiday. Don't have to go to school, really? <laughs> right? So you see, it's not as catastrophic as you're imagining. This is your imagination. How bad it is, how bad it is, how bad it is. For all you know, it could be really amazing. It could be the best time. It may be the first time the family actually spends quality time together. In the big homes in the US, you don't know who entered the house and who left the house. Who is doing what in which corner of the house. Many families have purposely begun living in smaller homes. At least you see the people in the family. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone's coming and going and no one knows. And the only time they come out is when you disconnect the Wi-Fi. <laughs> then they say, well, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time they come out. Otherwise, no one ever comes out. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I feel like do that, you do that sometimes. Don't get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the <next place> is <laughs> so, so you see, so it doesn't have to be as terrible as you're making it to be. In every situation, again, Amor Fati, I love my fate. I choose to love this. I'm a lover of reality, in other words. Instead of being a lover of fantasy, I'm a lover of what is. I love what is. Would anyone else like to share? Any lesson? Go ahead, Deepika. Yeah. I have to learn something that I'm not very proud of. It's all right. Go ahead. I learned that I'm a very selfish person mm. and that I'm not as giving as I should be. All right. This, this, this week you learned? Yeah. All right. And uh, that, you know, sometimes you, you end up hurting people who you don't really care for. Mm. So how are you and going I to feel like yeah. my past experiences like we yes. talked about programming exactly. preventing me from exactly. truly like being able to give all the love I have mm. and share unconditionally and unfortunately I'm not able to come to a point yeah. because of maybe my past experiences and okay. just preventing that yes. uh, true identity to kind of shine through. Yes, beautiful. All right. Welcome Deepika. And how, how brave of her to share so authentically. Go ahead, you want to say that? So I have a question about yeah. that. Is it the fear that holds somebody to love someone? Is, is it, it the because fear? Because of the past experience or because of the present experience? That was just the question. I mean, I'm sure it is because, you know, we're just trying to protect ourselves. You know, so many of us, there's a nice quote that many of us are just, you know, five-year-olds in bigger bodies. <laughs> you know, we, we really, how much of our, our decision-making and behaviors is coming from conditioning we've had in the first five, seven years of our life and trauma that we've had back then. And then this endlessly replays in our relationships. So one of the real gifts of coming for sessions like this is realizing, yes, that's happened. And yes, I've had those experiences. 
but I don't have to be a victim of those experiences, all right? And I'm not saying it's easy or whatever, but, but here's, here's the difference. You can say, this is one day, or you can say, this is day one, all right? So when you say, this is day one, say, all right, that's happened, and in the past, I've fallen into that trap again and again, but is there anything that I can do now? What can I, now suppose you made a decision that, all right, my whole life, certain experiences of my life, certain traumas in my life, certain adverse things that happened to me, have made me kind of the self-protective, I've shut my heart down at some level, right? Then how about I become a student of how to open my heart again? For the rest of my life, I will become a student of how to be truly selfless and connect more meaningfully with people and be true to myself and to the people around me, to really cherish the relationships in my life. What if you make that decision? And then that can become a gift not only to you, it can become a gift to many, many people. What's that, what's that thing that, you know, uh, they thought they buried us. They didn't know that we are seeds. <laughs> so this situation doesn't have to bury you. You can use, okay, now this is my impetus. This is the beginning of a new phase of my life. You say, all right, so is there anybody else in the world who has been traumatized and has, to a greater or lesser extent, been able to come out of it. Is there a single such other person in the world? And if there is, you can learn something from them. And nowadays there are countless books, there are countless YouTube videos, there are countless courses, there are countless places. I bet wherever you live, there'll be someone in your vicinity who has actually done that, who's been through that experience. And it may be through deep breathing that you can release stress. It may be through meditation you can release stress. It, or those kind of programming. It could be through journaling that you could do it. It could be through serving and supporting others that you can do it. Like, you know, the, the, the meeting you had with that lady. In the, at the YMCA. And like this, there could be endless ways in which we can do it, but you've got to be willing to take that step. And when you take that step, that's how the change begins. That's how the transformation begins. It's not a bad thing. You know, that's how learning... We, we th imagine life is this, this straight graph of upward progression. That's actually not the way it is. Everything in nature is expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting. So you will also, if you look back in your experience of life, you have expanded and contracted, expanded and contracted, Sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly. We're all doing that. That's, that's how it goes. That's, that means you're alive. Welcome. You're alive, right? So you will be more selfless, and again you'll realize you're selfish, and again you'll be more selfless, and again you'll realize you're still selfish, and that's how it goes. <laughs> right? And that's the journey of life. So you come to a place where you feel that, oh, I've figured it out, you know, I've, I've understood it, and then something doesn't feel quite right, and then you really feel that things are desperate, and then you have an absolute breakdown, and then you start again. And you start applying the new learnings, and you get better and better and better. And then you come to the new place, you say, okay, now I figured it out. And just when you think you figured it out, again, something doesn't feel right. <laughs> and again, you're out of sync. And that's how, that's how the learning goes. Up and down, up and down, up and down. But what if you become a student of this aspect of your life? Like years back, I, I decided to become a student of what is true happiness. What is real happiness? And I've been, in, in my own way, I've been learning through all kinds of teachings and teachers and experiences, what is happiness? And I don't think there's any final answer for that, but definitely I've got a few good clues. For example, if I spend my whole day being discontented, and I spend my whole day being contented or grateful, there's a, there's a difference. I spend my whole day looking at a screen, looking at a laptop or a mobile phone, or I spend my whole day out in nature, there's a difference. Right? I spend my whole day thinking, poor me, what about me, poor me. And I spend my whole day, what about you? How can I help you? How can I support you? How can I be a channel of blessings? There's a difference. So there are some important clues over there. 
So in your own way, can you become, instead of, you know, uh, uh, labeling yourself with, okay, I'm this kind of a person. You're not, you're not none of those things. Sometimes, yeah, you're not selfless or selfish. Sometimes selflessness arises, sometimes selfishness arises. And understand the causes and conditions of that. So you end up hurting people who are close to you. And that's their journey as well. <laughs> they, why are they getting so hurt so easily? Right? That's their journey as well. You can't, we are not here to... Uh, you know, protect everybody from ever getting hurt. That's not possible. In this, in, like we said today, we were discussing, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Otherwise, you're going to become a people pleaser. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'll just do whatever everybody wants. No, it's not going to happen. You're going to end up hurting people. When you decide to be authentic, you're going to hurt a lot of people actually. Because they all have their ideas about how you should live your life. And you're going to disappoint them. But you know what? You haven't disappointed one person. You've been true to yourself. And in the long run, the one who's true to themselves, they're the one who touches and inspires the most people. The people pleasers, they never get too far. The funny thing with people pleasers is the more you try to please, the less pleased they are with you. <laughs> they start taking it for granted. You have, let's say you have a roommate, and the roommate has decided that not only will she make coffee for herself, she'll also make it for you. And in the beginning, you're so happy, so thank you so much. And then after a few months, one day, she's gone and there's no coffee for you. What is this? Why is the coffee not made? <laughs> What is this about? You call her up, why is there no coffee, right? She was doing it out of her own love for you. She didn't have to do it for you. Nobody owes you that coffee. You start taking things for granted, you see. So people pleasers get in trouble like this. They spend their whole life doing stuff for others and people turn back and say, what have you even done? What have you even done? They're like, what do you mean what have I even done? I spent my whole life, I've sacrificed all my dreams for you. But they don't realize it, you see. So one of the things I learned, please say with me, I'm not here, I'm not here. to please others. I'm here to live my truth. And your truth will sometimes please others and sometimes not please others. And that's all right. So it's all right. Let them be a little hurt. That's, that's their journey. You don't want to hurt them. You're not purposely going out to hurt them. And whatever you've done, make amends. All right, so apologize. And say, what can I do now? I, this is a pattern I have that's not very skillful. What can I do about this? So take steps in that direction. But don't overload yourself. Don't overburden yourself. We all have to take responsibility for our own emotional health. Right. Let's take a minute of silence. And shift from the head to the heart. Notice what you're feeling. And shift from your heart to your whole body. And expand further to experience the space in this room.
and expand beyond the room to experience all of space. <clears throat> what is it like to be limitless? And let's expand this into a short meditation. This meditation is called Neti Neti, not this, not this. I'll guide you in this practice. And imagine for a moment that you can't remember what your body looks like. that there is no body. Imagine for a moment that you can't access any memory, any past, any story. For some people this is frightening, for some people this is beautiful. And either way, that's fine. Imagine for a moment you have no access to any kind of fear or worry for the future, or even hope for the future. Body is missing, past is missing, future is missing. Imagine for a moment all likes and dislikes are absent, invisible, inaccessible. All emotions and sensations are transparent, invisible. They may be there, but they're not you. They just are. So relaxing the grip on the body, relaxing the grip on the past, relaxing the grip on the future, relaxing the grip on preferences, on emotions and feelings and sensations. Imagine for a moment that Thoughts, words, images are not available to you. And imagine for a moment that even sensory experience, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, seeing, is not available to you. And even consciousness itself, that which knows, 
imagine for a moment consciousness itself is not available to you so now who are you without all of these things what remains No body, no mind, no consciousness. What is it like to take a vacation from this human experience even for a micro moment?
inwardly relax. Let the body be the body. Let the thoughts be thoughts. Let feelings be feelings. And for a single micro moment, don't take ownership of any of this. Just let it be a part of nature. Can you give yourself the gift of peace, even for a micro moment? Can you give yourself the gift of non-interfering with the flow of life, even for a micro moment? We'll all take three deep breaths. Second is deeper. And third is even deeper. And release. And if you like, you can rub your palms together. It's nice and warm. Bring them over your eyes, bring them over your face, and slowly open your eyes. Let's say together, how wonderful. Very nice. So we practice something called Neti Neti, which is a very ancient practice. Not this, not this, not this. Right. So it is discovering who you are by negation. I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this. And what do you arrive at? You can't define it. If you can define it, you say, not even this. <laughs> Anything you can define, you say, well, not this, not this, not this. The moment you can define it, means it's limited. Means it is only partial. It cannot be the whole of all of who you are. Because it's only part of your experience, so it can't be all of who you are. Right? So not this, not this, not this, not this. And when you touch that, then from that place, it automatically turns around, it becomes also this, also this, also this. So not only am I this body, I am everybody. Not only am I this feeling, I am all feelings. Not only am I this thought, I am all thoughts. When you start empathizing with people, oh, I, I know how you would see it that way. I know, yeah, because I've also been there, right? So a deep sense of connection with all of life.
with all, all of creation. So it's on one hand, it's a journey of emptying yourself, emptying yourself, emptying yourself, emptying yourself, all your stories about yourself, all your identification, all the stickiness you've created, I'm this, I'm not this, I want to be this, I hope to become this, I wonder if I'll become this, all these complicated traps you've created for yourself. The spider got stuck in his own spider web. <laughs> and then extracting yourself from that. And realizing, wow, it's like, you know, have you, I'm sure we've all had this, a nightmare which seemed so real, so real, so real, you're trapped. It's horrible. And then you wake up with like, ah, oh, really? It was just a dream? Instantly, right? Freedom, instantly. It was just a dream. It was just a dream. Well, that's what's happening even now. <laughs> that's what's happening all the time. And we're waking up from one dream to the next dream to the next dream to the larger dream, the larger dream. Right. So one of my teachers said very beautifully, he says, just say this with me, you cannot wake up from the dream. That would be another dream. <laughs> you can only wake up to the dream. So one of our participants, her name is Sapna. Sapna means dream. <laughs> so you cannot wake up from the Sapna. You can only wake up to the Sapna. You cannot wake up from the dream. You can only wake up to the dream. Because when you wake up from the dream, that would be another dream. Whatever you say, that's, that would be yet another, yet another experience. So to wake up to the dream. So this is called being awake within the dream. Being awake within the dream. So there's a nice uh, saying that when asleep, when asleep, when asleep and dreaming, be awake. So within your dream, be awake. Have you ever had an experience of lucid dreaming? That within your dream you realize it's a dream? I'm sure you've had at least one such experience, right? That within the dream you realize, oh, that's actually a dream. <laughs> I'm in a dream, right? That's amazing. That can happen. So when, when dreaming, wake up. When awake, see everything as a dream. <laughs> and it is like a dream, right? Half an hour back, you were perhaps on the road, on traffic. An hour back, you were out in traffic. That looked very different, felt very different, and now you're here. Yesterday, you were in a totally different place. That seemed totally real, and now it's totally gone. And try as you may, you can't fully recapture that experience. It's gone. It's like a dream, isn't it? What you were when you were, the way you saw life when you were 10 years old. That seemed so real. You were so convinced. But now that looks infantile. That looks like, yeah, but that was then. <laughs> Doesn't resonate anymore. So even what's happening right now, this is also a dream. The way you're seeing things, describing things, your self-definition, your assumptions about yourself in the world, that's also a dream. So when awake, see everything as a dream. Then let's go a little deeper. When living, this is a more profound teaching, when living, feel as though you're already dead. <laughs> when living, feel as though you're already dead. In other words, do whatever has to be done, but inwardly it's like, no. Like what did you say? To be in the world but not of the world. This is a very powerful practice. One of the very powerful teachings I got when I was a monk is you see everybody as a walking, walking corpse. Zombies. <laughs> so you see everybody as a walking corpse. It's a very powerful perception. You see everybody the walking corpse. Because it's just a matter of time. Right? It's just a matter of time. We are going to be corpses. There's going to be a corpse. So see everybody the walking corpse. Just a matter of time. It's a very powerful perception. Just creates huge de detachment. Huge dis disenchantment. And when dying, be fully alive. And truly, when you're dying, you will be fully alive. There will be perhaps no point in your life that you've been as alive. Then perhaps the moment of birth 
the moment of giving birth <laughs> and the moment of death. In fact, your, your brain chemistry is totally different in those three points. The three points, in fact, there are four points. So the point of birth, those of you who had the privilege of giving birth, near-death experience, you almost died but you didn't, and then death itself, right? So all of the points, you're actually maximally alive. You've perhaps never been as alive, and we try to recreate that by going to amusement parks, roller coaster. Oh! <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> you feel maximally alive for a brief moment, right? <laughs> so this is a very powerful teaching. And so this completely reorients our perception in all those situations, completely turns it around. What you thought was a bad thing doesn't turn out to be so bad. What you thought was a good thing doesn't turn out to be so good. You question everything. Is it really good? Right? What you imagine to be good, just look, go back and check what you imagine to be good. There's a lovely uh, saying by this psychologist. He says, whatever you're wishing for and aspiring for in life, go interview someone, go meet someone who already has it. Check how happy they are. <laughs> you might save yourself a lot of trouble. You're imagining that having X amount of money will make you happy or you know, your kid going to this college will make you happy or whatever you think is going to make you happy. Having six-pack abs are going to make you happy or whatever it is, well, go and meet someone and check. Someone who has those six-pack abs, someone who put their kid in that college, someone who earns that kind of money, go check. Are they really as satisfied, as content as you, as you imagine? You'd be surprised to find they're thinking of the next thing. <laughs> the next thing, the next thing. Wherever you are, it's the next thing. It's not this thing, it's the next thing, right? From that vantage point, you see more things to be done. And it keeps on going like this. So it doesn't mean you don't strive. You can still strive for uh, things. But it's no longer for to complete me. It is an, it is an extension. It, it, it is an expression of who I am. It's not because I'm incomplete and when I get that, I'll be complete. No, you're always complete. Right now, you're complete. Even if you're convinced you're not, that is part of your completeness. <laughs> you are whole and complete. Each moment, you're whole and complete. I feel like and that's from, really prevalent. And even in some cases, you were saying, um, like, okay, people that are like into gym and into working out and stuff, and they, I even remember I see friends that are into that, and they're like, never satisfied. Mm -hmm. They actually literally say those two words, <laughs> so they kind of just say, I'm never going to be happy. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, yeah. pause. And it's like, exactly. Can't stop, won't stop. Right. And this becomes this philosophy of, you know, uh, how do they say that only the paranoid survive kind of thing. That you've got to be paranoid in order to make it in this world. Well, guess what? If you believe that, it's going to be true for you. What you believe, what you, what you think comes true for you, right? So we can experience this world from many, many, many different perspectives. And each one is internally consistent. So if you convince yourself, no one loves me, I'm unlovable, guess what? You will have plenty of life experiences to match exactly what you believe. No one loves me, I'm unlovable. And I love what Byron Katie says. Let's say this together. She says, when I enter a room, I know everyone loves me. I just don't expect them to know it yet. <laughs> I love that quote. Right? So when I enter a room, I know everyone loves me. I just don't expect them to know it yet. What a beautiful, imagine living life like that. What's that nice way of saying it? That uh, a stranger is just, what is it? A friend that you haven't, what is it? A friend? A friend you haven't met yet? A friend you've never, you haven't yet met. 
haven't yet met exactly. That's just, just I, perhaps that's how Vijay approaches. Vijay said that you know people don't like to initiate conversations. I love to initiate conversations, and I bet your mindset is something like that. It's just a friend I haven't, just someone I haven't met yet. It's just a friend I haven't met yet. That's the definition of a stranger. So if that's your way of thinking, then that becomes very true for you. So then we can keep on updating. So I love this uh, phrase. In fact, I'll, I'll break it into four parts. The first one is, everything is imperfect and it keeps getting worse. Okay, level one is, everything is imperfect, keeps getting worse. Now if you think like this, it'll be true for you. I'm imperfect, you're imperfect, the world is imperfect, and guess what is getting, getting worse? If you want to have this point of view, watch a minimum of two hours of news every day. <laughs> and you will be convinced <laughs> that everything is imperfect and it's getting worse. All right? And they will convince you of this. First one. And you know how that feels. You know how anxious it makes you feel, how sad it makes you feel, how trapped it makes you feel, how suffocated it makes you feel. Second one, let's say together, everything is perfect. But what if something happens? <laughs> right? right? So everything is good, but what if, what if, oh my, what if I lose my job? What if I don't get my green card? What if something happens to my kid? What if, what if, what if? And you can't relax, you can't enjoy, because you're creating all these imaginary situations. What if, what if, what if? And you can't even enjoy what you have, because your mind is full of what ifs. One person I went to have dinner with, and uh, the, the waiters took a very long time to get the food. And I said, I think they've forgotten. Let's, let's call them, let's tell them. And they actually had forgotten. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, you know, come on, take, take, call the manager, do something, get our food out. And he said, no, don't say anything, don't say anything. I said, why not? They've, they've delayed our food. He said, they might spit in our food. <laughs> now, his thing is, what if they spit in our food? <laughs> if you, if you, so his idea is you should never fight with restaurant staff, because if, if you upset them, they're going to do something bad to your food. All right, one way of looking at it. But he's always living in this fear that I should never offend any, any restaurant staff, right? So, you know, everything is perfect, but what if something happens? What if, the whole what if, it's going to ruin your happiness. And how many times in your life have you imagined all these terrible scenarios? And actually, it's never that bad. You realize that, my goodness, I was creating hell for myself. It was never that bad. I learned this when I was in school, luckily that there was some homework I didn't do. And I was really, I was sweating. I said, I'm in big trouble. The teacher's going to punish me. She's going to scream at me. And uh, she looked at me and I said, I haven't done the homework. She made a face and said, okay, do it next time. <laughs> I said, I made that a big scenario. I'm in my mind. I was like so upset. Yes, she was unhappy with me. But she said, okay, make sure you do it next time. Right? And it was nothing like what I imagined. So most of the time, it's never as bad as you imagine. We make it so much worse. Expect the unexpected, yes. So that, 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 that's, that, that's one way, and that's fine, but then don't get stuck in that. Don't make that your, don't always live in that space, because that space is going to contract you. And you cannot appreciate even the goodness that you have in your life. So the first one is everything is imperfect, and it's getting worse. Everything is perfect, what if it gets worse? Third one, let's say together, everything is imperfect. One day it will get better. <laughs> Right? So one day, one day, something will happen. I'll get into that college, or I will learn that skill, or I will, you know, I, I will finally have those kind of uh, muscles and biceps. So whatever it is, you while so many have X, X number of Instagram followers, and whatever it, you're imagining, and when that happens, I will be okay. But see how long you've played that game. How many times you thought, when I finally have that product, or that house, or that experience, then I'll be, and you, it, it comes and it goes. 
right? So you feel dissatisfied. You're always leaning into the future, waiting for something to happen. And you can't enjoy your life. This happens to... Sorry? What about the guilt? Exactly, the guilt. The guilt comes from that. Like, I'll give you an example. This person I met, very successful in his business, one of the top you know, leaders in the, in the corporate world. He told me, Nitya, I'm so sad because for decades, I would wake up before my daughters woke up. And I'd come home after they'd fallen asleep. Yeah. This went on for decades. He said, now my kids are in the US. And when I call them, I cry on the phone. I'm missing you. They said, Dad, now you're missing us. <laughs> when, you, when we were there in the same house, we hardly ever saw you. You would only talk to us to see our grades and shout at us for not studying. That is our only memory of you. And today, you know, we're in the US, we're living our own lives, and you're saying you're missing us and you're crying. You say, now what's the point crying? Right? And he thought he's doing his duty for the family by, you know, uh, paying the bills and, you know, being the provider. Yes, it's important to be the provider, but that's not the only thing you have to do. There are other things as well. You know, spending quality time when a, when a child is going through a heartbreak or when a child is really confused, be there for that child. That's also a role of a father, not just the role of providing. So what are you providing? Are you only providing food and a place to stay? Or are you also providing inspiration? Are you providing values? What are you providing? Now, whatever has happened has happened, but let's learn from that. Let's make amends, all right. So it's never too late to say, I'm sorry. I realize what I did has hurt you, and I would like to make a new beginning. And we start from wherever we are. And with kids who are very upset with their parents, I always tell them, forgive your parents, because they also had parents. <laughs> They're not, they're often they're unconscious. They think they're doing the right thing, but they're just passing on a conditioning. And this is actually very profound. That it's not just the color of your eyes, and the color of your skin, and your height, and your nose, and all of these things. It is also your deep inner conditioning. So much of it is passed on, genetically passed on. Attitudes are passed on, anxieties are passed on. What they found is countries which have had genocide, We've had places like Laos and Cambodia. Genocide has happened. Millions of people have been killed. Right? The Jews, millions of people have been killed. It, that kind, it, somewhere it affects the entire community. It's a very deep wound. It's a very deep scar. It affects the whole community. In this country, Native Americans are still recovering. African Americans are still recovering. They haven't healed yet. It's still going on. That scar continues. So we have to make amends. Right? So that's the third one. But now let's come to the fourth one. Let's say it together. Everything is perfect. <laughs> and it keeps getting better. <laughs> and that's also true. Again, the way you see it is the way, right? So are you enjoying the evening? Is it a nice evening? So it's perfect, beautiful. And guess what? It's going to get better. It's going to keep getting better. And if that's your way of looking at it, then this is not one day. This is day one. And this is the beginning of the best life ever. This is the rest of my life will be the best of my life. And if you think like that, it's going to be true. If the rest of your life is going to be the same as the rest of your previous life, then if that's what you believe, that's, that, if you say, I'm someone who never changes, I'm someone who's tried but gives up, well, then that's going to be true for you. You decide, no, this is, the, this is day one. Everything changes from here. So everything is perfect means to be aligned with the present moment. Remember the question I gave you early on, who am I without my stories? Without your stories, this has to be perfect. Because it can only be imperfect when you compare it with how it should be, how it could be, how it would be, why this, why not that. This is your story. This is your imagination. By itself, it's absolutely perfect. Every child is perfect. Until we start comparing them with that child and that uncle and that aunt and this one and that one, then that's, you get in trouble. But each child by themselves is whole and complete. It's completely perfect. So this experience is perfect. 
In fact, I began many years back, I began using this affirmation. Please say with me, this is, this is the most perfect moment, most perfect of, moment. Of, my entire life. of my entire life. And I found any time I would say that, I would inwardly relax so much. This is the most perfect moment of my entire life. I've waited my whole life for this experience. And whatever it was, it could even be feeling frustrated. Well, this is the perfect experience of frustration in my life. <laughs> I choose to experience this. I've waited my whole life to experience this right now. Amor Fati, I love my fate. I love this experience. I choose to love this. I'm a lover of reality. Instead of being a lover of fantasy, I'm a lover of what is. And when you welcome it, it's not a problem. What you resist will persist. And what you welcome is not a problem. Let me tell you a very powerful story. A very great Tibetan master, Tibetan yogi. His name was Milarepa. And Milarepa, he's got a fascinating life story. He was born in a village and quite rich. But his father died early. And then his uncle began taking over all the money, all the wealth. And even though he was quite wealthy, his mother and he became impoverished. And over the years, a lot of anger grew, a lot of vengefulness grew. And Milarepa went on to learn black magic. And he came and took revenge on his uh, uncle and the family. He created a hailstorm. We had a hailstorm in Florida also recently. <laughs> he created a hailstorm and the entire field got damaged. Entire homes got damaged. His uncle died. And after that happened, he felt very remorseful. That what have I done? I have killed him. You know, and I've created such a lot of havoc. The entire village has suffered because of me. So he went to atone for it. And his teacher, uh, the teacher rejected him and said, no, you're not worthy. And he kept coming back and he kept rejecting him. And it's all right, you have to build a seven-story temple only with your bare hands. So for, 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 for months he worked building a seven-story temple. He said, I don't like it, demolish it. Build it again. Demolish it, build it again. Seven times he made him rebuild the seven-story temple. And then he gave him the teachings. Now when you worked so hard for the teachings, you take that up like it's the most sacred thing in the world. And this is a true story, by the way, not a, not a legend. So Milarepa went on to become one of the greatest yogis of Tibet. And there's a story of Milarepa. He is coming back to his cave, and he sees three demons covering the entrance of his cave. Now Milarepa is a great yogi by this time. So he summons them, move away, but they don't listen. So he sends fire their way, nothing happens. They get even bigger. He sells a hailstorm their way, nothing happens, they get even bigger. He, whatever he's doing, they're getting even bigger. He says, oh my goodness, these are not normal demons. These are anger-eating demons. So the more I project on them, the bigger they're going to get. So he says, okay, you want to eat me? So he lies down, come and eat me, come and eat me. And the three demons come rushing at full speed, and they pounce on him, he says, come and eat me. And as soon as they approach him, poof, they vanish. It's like, it's like the... Yes, Rottweiler, exactly, right? They're not here yet. <laughs> so he welcomes them, come. And the three demons come to attack him. And he welcomes them, come eat me, come eat me. And poof, they vanish. And he enters the cave. In other words, what you're most afraid of, like uh, Carl Jung said, the cave that you're afraid to enter, that's where the treasure lies. So what's it like to welcome? I welcome it. So selfishness, I welcome you. Frustration, I welcome you. Anxiety, I welcome you. Fear, I welcome you. Discontentment, I welcome you. Come, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? You're going to eat me up? Come eat me up. What's going to happen? So you welcome it. When you welcome anything, it's not a problem. What you resist will persist. What you welcome is never a problem. So you breathe it in and you breathe out relief. You breathe it in and you take it one breath at a time. Like you were saying in that conversation, let me just take it one moment at a time, one breath at a time. And you were not so anxious in that conversation. 
You can deal with anything in this world one step at a time, one breath at a time, one moment at a time. But you start projecting into the future, what does it mean, how will, how will it happen, it is, it is hell. Because now you're dealing with imagination. But one breath at a time, one step at a time, you're totally fine, you'll be able to handle it. So to be, everything is perfect means to be grounded in reality, in presence. And everything is improving means telling a high quality story. A beautiful story, like you were saying, Jeff was saying, everything, what do you say, everything supporting me, is that what you said? I'm always supported. Everything and everyone is supporting me. I'm always supported at all times. I say it in a slightly different way. Trust your process. Trust your process. Whatever is happening, there's a process that's, that's happening. Trust that. The unfolding will happen. And by the way, yours is a unique process. Each one of us is going through our own process. Comparison beyond a point doesn't really help. It only confuses us. Trust your unique process. Each one of us is going through. And the more you surrender to the process and trust that process, the smoother it is. You're going to go through it anyway. Now, you can go through it crying and screaming and shouting, or you can just go through it. Will Smith was sharing his a very fascinating video. He went skydiving in Dubai. Will Smith is a famous actor, right? He went skydiving in Dubai, and, you know, and he, all his friends said, let's go skydiving, let's go skydiving. He said, yeah, let's go skydiving. That whole night he couldn't sleep. It was going to happen. What's going to happen? <laughs> and the next day he came, he thought he's the only one who's afraid. Everyone was actually afraid, but they're pretending to be really, oh, let's do this. We're looking forward to this. And the safety training, they say, okay, in case your parachute doesn't open, you do why would the parachute not open? <laughs> and he's really frightened. And then the first time you jump, you're jumping with somebody else. So you kind of, it's like a tandem jump. So the two people jumping together. So, you know, one by one, everyone's jumping and, they, and no one's stopping and they're all going and they're about to jump. And so he comes to the edge of the plane and he's stepping and looking down all the way down. He's like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they're going to, on the count of three, right? So one, two, and they push on two because people grab on three. <laughs> So they push him out, and he's out, and he's shouting. And within two seconds, he realizes it's blissful. It's the most blissful experience of his life. He said, what was I doing? I was so afraid. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't eat breakfast. My stomach was churning the whole time. But now that I'm in this experience, I'm blissing out. It's the most blissful experience of my life. And I love the, the thing he said toward the end of the video. Let's say this together. God put, God put the best experiences on the other side of terror. I love that, right? So on the other side of terror are the best experiences, the best gifts that, God, that life has, that God has, are on the other side of terror. You've got to penetrate that. You've got to go through it. So like Nila Repa said, come eat me. At some point you've got to say, okay, come get me. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What are you going to do? I'm going to die? All right, so let's, we're going to die anyway, right? So then let's die. Come, do it. And the day you have that kind of a warrior spirit, you will penetrate into a new level of consciousness. And why outwardly you'll be the same, inwardly the physics have changed, and inwardly you experience life in a totally different way than you used to. You don't feel the same resistance. All that judgment you had towards certain family members, towards your boss, and this and that, and that person, just gone. Right. And there's a sense of ease and peace. All our life experiences so far that have brought us to this moment. Infinite blessings 
to anyone in the state of Florida who's feeling like they're trapped, there's no way to move forward in life. Infinite blessings. Infinite gratitude to our parents who have worked really hard to give us a high quality of life, made many sacrifices. And like this, any of you will say aloud, infinite blessings to or infinite gratitude for. Make sure you pause for two breaths for about 10 seconds after each person Rarely feel what each person has said. And somebody else can say something else. Whenever you're ready, we'll start. Infinite gratitude to my husband for bringing me here so we could receive wisdom and healing. Infinite gratitude to every audience that allowed them all to be. Blessing to my husband who has been struck in his midlife crisis, career change. Infinite gratitude to the sun, which gives the energy to the plants from where we get the food.
And speak a little louder so everyone in the room can hear you. blessings to those who are desperately seeking to find love and, and are unable to find true love. infinite blessings to all animals who have lost their habitat. infinite gratitude to all the simple things in life that we take for granted without which our life would be far more complicated, far more difficult. have three more.
infinite blessings to all our families and family members who are back home. Do one more in your own heart. And now we'll come to the second aspect of our practice, which is about letting go. In this practice, you have realized that you only have five minutes left to live. Five minutes from now, you're going to die. And since you know you're going to die in five minutes, a tremendous inner process of letting go begins. Coming to peace with everything begins. So we'll use a, a phrase, a statement, I'm dying too. I'll give you three examples. I'm dying to my identity, Nitya Shanti. I'm dying to anything that's incomplete, any judgment I have towards how I live my life. I'm dying to my strong attachments to anyone or anything. And we will continue as a group. Each time make sure you speak clearly so everyone can hear you. And make sure you pause for two breaths. Really feel what that person has said. You also let go of that. I am dying too. Pause for two breaths each time. Dying to the gripping of my experiences, both positive and negative. 
I'm dying to creating pain, fear, and anxiety. I'm dying to unfulfilled desires. I'm dying to my past. I'm dying to my or my ego. My problem is that. Three more. to my self-pity. I'm dying to let go all the negativity that comes around. Anyone else? Do one more in your heart. And now in the next 30 seconds, the moment of death is going to come. Completely let go of everything. Empty yourself. Open yourself to the big mystery. Surrender. Let go. And the last breath. And as it turns out, it's not your time yet. So you realize there's still momentum left in this life. So we use a phrase 
now there is only and fill in the blanks now that we have another opportunity to live I'll give you an example now there is only laughter and not taking life so seriously anyone else Now there is no desire to prove anything. Now everything is a blessing. <laughs> now there is soft love music all the time with me. Now there is only harmony. Now there is only good food. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have three more.
Father is only observing observation. And just be quiet for a moment. breath and repeat after me with gratitude, gratitude. And, blessings. and blessings and letting go and powerful intentions the rest of this life has to be the best of my life and so it is and so it is and so it is. Rub your palms together, nice and warm. Bring them over your eyes, over your face. And let's say together, how wonderful. How wonderful. Very nice. People ask you what happened in the session. I had a near-death experience. <laughs> 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 Very nice. A few minutes if anybody wants to share something or ask something before we close. Yeah, it was, uh, for me, it's actually quite selfish, like you're talking about selfish. I've, I enjoyed uh, meditation, I enjoyed the Buddha's teachings, I enjoyed uh, living a simpler life than most people live in the corporate world and in the usual style of living. So I said, I'm not attracted to that. So I said, let me practice selfishness. This is called enlightened selfishness. <laughs> you take care of yourself. They say, healer, heal thyself. If you're a doctor, first you've got to be healthy, how will you heal other people first? Right. So I said, let me first take care of this one. And so in my case, uh, I decided to become a monk because I was drawn to it. Simple as that. It was not, I was never very, in fact, I'm still not religious. I've never been very religious. I'm, 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 a, I'm someone who's interested in truth, interested in wisdom. And I take it from many different directions. I've learned it from many different traditions. But I wanted to go deep. And I was drawn to the Buddha's teachings. What I liked about the Buddha's teachings is very non-dogmatic. He's not forcing you to believe stuff. If you say, I don't believe in karma, I don't believe in rebirth, 
All right, come and practice anyway. It doesn't mean that no, I, don't, I don't even believe in the Buddha. Well, you don't have to believe. Practice. Come, learn, practice. Like an education, right? So I like that openness of the teaching. Very non-dogmatic, inquiring, in, inviting you to come and see. This is one of the qualities of his teachings. Come and see. Ehipasiko. Come and see. Come and experience. See if it works for you. And I found it did work for me. And so that drew me in. I began practicing. And then about six years of living as a monk, I learned so many things, had some wonderful experiences. And yet something in me said that uh, I'm not meant to be a monk for life. Some of us are meant to be a monk for life or none for life and some of us aren't. In my case, it was a case of learn something, assimilate and continue on the journey but no, no longer as a Buddhist monk. And again, I trusted that, I honored that. In the beginning, I doubted it, I gave it time but then it became quite clear and I followed that. So, uh, uh, in, I don't know if I'm enlightening all of you, but in coming to spaces like this, I'm raising my own frequency, I'm raising my own vibration. And if in the process others can also raise their frequency, their vibration, their consciousness, then certainly we all benefit. There's a teacher I like, her name is, her name is Esther Hicks, and she, has a, she channels an entity called Abraham. And there's a nice phrase she often says, I attract all those, I attract through divine love all those who seek awakening through this process. The sharing will elevate us all. And I think that just nails it, that statement just nails it. So I attract through divine love all those who seek awakening, whatever word you want to use, expansion, through this process. The sharing will elevate us all. So sometimes I address very small gatherings, three, four, five people, sometimes I address very huge gatherings. I think the largest I've addressed is 50,000 people. And there's a joy in a small gathering. You get to know everyone's name. <laughs> Everyone has a chance to speak. Right? There's, a, there's a joy in a very large gathering. There's a huge energy there. One is not better than the other necessarily. There's also a joy in no gathering. Nobody coming. How wonderful. I can be my wife. Today's session was meant for me. <laughs> but not meant for anybody. So to just trust that whoever shows up is meant to show up. Whoever does not show up is not meant to show up. Whatever sessions happen are meant to happen. Whatever sessions don't happen are not meant, not meant to happen. In other words, everything is perfect and everything keeps improving, all right? So in my sharing these things, whether or not you get anything, I'm getting a lot. It's enlightened selfishness in that process. And when I'm taking care of this one, when I'm being true to this one, then whoever else has to benefit from that. Then they will also get the main message, which is what? You take care of this one. <laughs> you take care of yourself, all right? In the Buddha's time, there was a, in, even today they have it. It's a special acrobatic act where a child climbs a bamboo pole Imagine a child climbing a bamboo pole and the person below is, is balancing. And they'll even do crazy things like balance on their chin and balance on their head. I mean, like really scary things. So before the act, this is hundreds of years back, uh, the father says to the son, son, you take care of me and I'll take care of you. And the son says, no father, you take care of yourself and I'll take care of myself. <laughs> and there's a truth to both of them, right? So in one hand in this world, I need to take care of you and you need to take care of me. But on the other hand, I need to take care of myself and you need to take care of yourself. Each one of us has to take responsibility for ourselves. All right? So there's a truth to both of them. And so like this, uh, that's how the journey went. How was the experience? Oh, I really enjoyed it. I, it was really some of the best years of my life. Very, very pleasant. Living in a forest, waking up every day to beautiful bird song and other kinds of, uh, you know, rustling of leaves. And we'd eat, very, live very simply, so we'd eat one meal a day. We just eat one meal a day every, every, every morning. Eight o'clock was our only meal of the day. Nowadays, it's coming into fashion again, intermittent fasting. <laughs> we were already doing it. We were doing a 24-hour intermittent, not exactly 24-hour, because in the evening, you'd have a small refreshment. 
but are pretty much pretty close to a long fast every day. So that kept you healthy. And also pretty physically active. I've never been that physically active in my life. Because the big monastery, you've got to walk, you've got to sweep, you've got to clean things. That was the only time in my life I had six pack. Now I've got a one pack. <laughs> but it keeps you physically active, right? Keeps you mentally sharp, keeps you physically active. And uh, there, is, there is a lot to, lot to say about that kind of life. And also, um, it's an opportunity for you to realize, you know, in, in, in household life, because there are so many moving parts. You know, kids are up to something, and something's happening at work, and something's happening at home, and weather, and da 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 and, and relatives are coming, and friends are coming. There are so many moving parts. You can, get, you can get fooled into believing, I'm feeling this way because of what happened. I'm feeling this way because of what they said and what they said. But when you live in a monastery, it's like a laboratory. You wake up at the same time, you eat this, almost the same food, you similar people every day, similar routine every day, and yet one day you're bursting with life and bursting with enthusiasm and you're so happy, and the other day it's like, where have I come and what am I doing? And nothing has changed. Your thinking has changed. Right? So it becomes very clear, no, it's those same colleagues that today I'm resenting and I'm judging, yesterday I was inspired by them. Right? That same teacher that right now I'm feeling inspired by, earlier I was skeptical of that teacher. So you see, so it's not the teacher or the people or the, or the experiences, it's your thoughts about the experiences. So this becomes really, really clear. So it takes, in other words, we say, uh, it takes nothing to be happy. It takes something to be unhappy. <laughs> and that becomes very clear when you're a monk. It takes nothing to be happy. Our true nature is completely, we are living in heaven right now. You're living in heaven until you believe otherwise. And then you create that for yourself. What the thinker thinks, the prover proves. That was one of my big, big learnings. That in the present moment, there are no problems. And I experimented with this thought again. I was bitten by a scorpion once. But in the present moment, it's, not, it's painful, yes. And one has to put medicine. But in the present moment, it's not a problem. It's only a problem when you start imagining, oh, what does it mean? This poison is going to spread in my body. I'm going to die. I'm going to become crippled. Then it becomes a problem. <laughs> by itself, it's just an unpleasant experience. Right? So in the present moment, there are never any problems. You can go through every single thing if you just open yourself up to it. And say, what's going to happen? Right? And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right? So when you open yourself up to it, like we said, on the other side of terror are the best things in life. God puts the best things in life on the other side of terror. Allow yourself to penetrate that. So in monk life, there are many opportunities to penetrate beyond. And monk life or, no, or our other life doesn't matter. We grow maximum on the border of support and challenge. So wherever there's support and challenge together, maximum growth will happen. When there's only support, 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 like look at kids whose parents give them everything they want, then those kids don't, don't really grow. They become very, very uh, finicky and become very moody, right? Become very demanding. And parents always criticize, criticize, criticize. Tiger moms and tiger dads and you know, always finding fault. Well, even those kids get crushed. They start lying, they start making up stories. It doesn't work either way. You've got to have a balance of both. Right? So life itself is designed for that. And if you're feeling either, either you're getting too much support or too little support, too much challenge or too little challenge, your inner being will say something's wrong. I've been in the job for 10 years. It's not challenging anymore. I'm just doing it for the security. But then something in you is dying because you're not expanding anymore. Maybe in the first one year you were expanding, but no, now it's no longer expanding you. So support and challenge. So in my case also, and actually in my case the other thing happened. I actually felt very comfortable in my monk life. <laughs> I actually felt, I, had, I really had, a, I was sharing yesterday also, I felt I'd been a monk many times in the past also. <laughs> it was like a comfort zone. For me being a monk is a comfort zone. So I realized, no, this is getting too comfortable for me. 
I'm getting two lakhs. Time to make a shift. So you moved from corporate world to the bank, and you experienced and learned, enlightened yourself in the process. And if the life throws you go back to the corporate world, is that going to be something different what you experienced before about the corporate world? Because since you learned and practiced so much, mm -hmm. is that or is it not possible because of the circumstances are everybody has to be a monk to be a <laughs> No, no, you don't. I actually do a lot of work for the corporate world, but not as an employee. I do it as a trainer. So a lot of, about half of my programs are with organizations. And so I get to experience pretty close hand the kind of challenges that they face. Uh, I had kind of made a promise to myself that when I come back, I said I'm never going to take a job. I just made a promise to myself. I'll only do what's joyful. Okay, maybe tomorrow if that, that really gives me joy to take a job, I might. But really, I don't really see a reason for that. Right? So I said I'm going to do what gives me joy. And there's a lovely word, ikigai. Ikigai is a Japanese word. It has four parts to it. And it's about asking yourself, what do I love? What am I good at? What benefits others? And the fourth one's interesting, what pays the bills? <laughs> so Ikigai's got four parts, and all four parts are important, right? So you should be good at it, you should love it, it should benefit someone or, some, or something in, beyond you, and it should also pay the bills. When all those four come together, that is your Ikigai, that is your reason for being. So in my case, yes, I've been as a monk, that I had my own Ikigai. Since then, I have my own Ikigai. Uh, I've never really felt called to you know, get into a corporate role as such, but I, a lot, because I had that experience, I've, been, I've done an MBA, worked a little while in the corporate world, so I am able to translate these concepts in a way that they can accept and understand. So well, I have that, to some extent I have that skill or that gift. So wonderful, I'm able to share that with them. Right? Was that your question or was it something else? Yeah, more or less, yeah, good. Anyone else, one last question? Before we, yeah, go ahead. I'll give you an example. This was an experiment done in the US. A professor of photography in his new class, he said, everyone seated on my left, you will be judged for the quantity of photographs you take in this course. Everyone seated to my right, you will be judged for a single photograph you take and the quality of that single photograph. All right? So one half, take as many photographs as possible and quantity matters. So 100 would be an A grade, 80 would be a B grade, ta -ta -ta -ta, like that, right? And this half of the classroom, just take one photograph. It's got to be a really good photograph. You know what they found? At the end of the semester, most of the good grades came from the quantity side. Because as they were busy trying, experimenting, taking many, many, many photographs, they had a really cool photograph. And these people kept thinking and theorizing, what does beauty mean? What does perfection look like? Their photograph was not so special, actually. So in other words, it's not about how do you find it. You get busy, get your hands dirty, try different things, right? It's not like you'll suddenly have a voice from the ceiling saying, okay, now today you're supposed to do this. No, it's not like that. Try different things. Like in my case, I hung out with monks. I was interested in, you know, I hung out with meditation teachers. I hung out with monks. I tried, I tried uh, different systems like Kriya Yoga. I tried many different things. I said, okay, now what is, I was very attracted to Kriya Yoga and to the Buddhist teachings. I said, no, but it's mixing two different ways of looking at the world. So then I, you know, put my hands together and said, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda and Babaji, I love your teachings, but I'm feeling split. So I'm going to let go of this with full respect, and I want to continue on this path. So I got my hands dirty. I tried many, many things. I hung out with different teachers. I went on pilgrimage. I went to different places. And little by little, it became clear to me, this is what I want to focus on. So what happens is we get too stuck in our heads. And that's where we get, then we, we just kind of, whatever you think, 
One day you think, yeah, I should do this. Next day you think, no, I'm not sure. And then you keep on contradicting yourself. Get out of your head and get your hands dirty. Try things, experiment, learn. And by experimenting, trying many, many, many things, you will start getting better at things. Almost any product you use, whether it's you know, your bottle or whether it's your laptop or any, your car, chances are, and almost certainly, it is not the first time they made it. It's a, they make a prototype first, steering wheel, they make a prototype. Then they find, no, the angle is not right, this horn is too far away from the thumb. Second prototype, third prototype. Typically, it's four, five, six prototypes before you get a really good steering wheel, before you get a really good bottle, before you get a very good laptop. They make many, many mistakes. How can we assume that with our life, the first time we'll get it right? It's not going to happen. You're going to make many, many false starts, and that's actually the process of learning. So in design thinking, they say that think of five totally different ways in which you could live your life. So maybe you could live your life traveling the world. Maybe you could live your life as an author. Maybe you could live your life as a social worker. Maybe you could live your life as a doctor. Maybe you could live your life as a stay-at-home mom. And expand each of those. What is it like to be a writer? What is it like to be traveling the world? What is it like to be a doctor? Expand all of those. And you'll find there is something you love about all of those. And there's something you don't like about all of those. And then get creative and say, okay, in traveling the world, I love learning new things. But I don't like the fact that I'm always dis uprooted and far away from my family. All right, and being a doctor, I like this, but I don't like... And then you start getting a cohesive idea. Okay, so these are some of the elements I like. And then you create a path of your own. But you've got to get your hands dirty. It's not going to happen just by thinking about it. So in my case, I tried many, many things. And that's what... Even with the things I'm teaching. You see, I've, I've learned so many different things. And then, in fact, I love this quote by this lawyer. The senior lawyer, he met this junior lawyer. And the junior lawyer was trying to be really smart and you know, trying to prove how much he knows. And then at one point, the lawyer, senior lawyer just said one simple statement. He says, I have forgotten more law than you've ever learned. And I haven't forgotten much. <laughs> right? <laughs> so in other words, I've tried so many different things. And then out of that, there's only so much that I still practice. And there's only so much that I share with you. Right? So in the same way, we should allow ourselves to have many, many experiences, diverse experiences. And from the, in, in the Hindi, we have a nice word, nichod. So from the squeezing of that, from the digesting of that, will come some kind of a beautiful summary. And then you apply it to yourself, and then a part of that will also be valid to the other people in your life. And that's a good way of approaching it. Very nice. Let's all say, how wonderful. Take a moment of stillness. Take a deep breath and say with me, I carry with me, I carry with me infinite gratitude, infinite, gratitude infinite, blessings, infinite blessings, infinite letting go, infinite letting go and, infinite clarity. and infinite clarity. And so it is. And so it is. And so it is. And so it is. Beautiful.
All right, everybody. Well done. Any announcements? Nothing? Anything?